How's it going, guys and girls? Welcome to the Be More podcast. Guys, girls, this this episode is insane. Like, it's so good. Um, I got my friend Matt Musgrove onto the show. He's actually not my friend. He's, he got referred to me through somebody, but now he is my friend after an amazing chat. Um, and guys, the guy's got so much in, inspiration um, to share. Gone through some really, really challenging times, um, but it's made him the man he is today. And, and some of the his coping mechanisms, you guys are going to absolutely love. There's so much value in this. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to re-listen to it as well because the, he drops so many useful things in there that anybody can implement. Um, and please do make sure you do take advantage of those things, especially if you're somebody who is maybe struggling with anything right now. Take advantage of some of the lessons that he shares in this podcast um, and know that you can you can talk to people, lean on your friends, lean on your family or speak to anyone that's better than no one. Um, and as I've always said, my messages are always open um, because if you're struggling with something, you're always best to talk to someone. But I'm going to leave this to, over to Matt because he, he handles this podcast um, and his story and inspiration. And, and every every part of this podcast is, is so good, guys. So hope, hopefully you get some value from it. Please do let us know if you do. Um, share this on your Instagram stories. Tag us both in it and let us know what you think. Um, and if you haven't already, please leave a review on the podcast. It would mean the world to us. Cheers, guys. Enjoy the show. How's it going, guys and girls? Welcome to the Be More podcast. Tonight, you are in for an absolute treat. So I am joined tonight by Matt Musgrove, who's got an insane story that he's going to come on and kindly share with us all. Matt, how you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Jack? You good? Very good, mate. Very good. I've been excited very for this good. all day, so no pressure, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too, mate. It's a pleasure to be on here. So, yeah, thank you very much. Top man. Tell, tell the listeners who you are, buddy. Uh, so I'm, as Jack said, I'm Matt Musgrove. Uh, I'm 37 years old, electrical project manager. Um, just an ordinary guy that likes sport and training, that's been through the mill, hit rock bottom multiple times, learned how to pick myself up and uh, trying to start have other people pick themselves back up and, and like through training, talking, mountaineering. We'll get onto that in a bit. I do a lot of mountaineering. That'll be part of my story that I tell. So, yeah. Perfect. So start from the beginning, mate. Like, what what is the the big parts of your story? Uh, well, grew up in Torquay, uh, on the south coast. Um, had a bit of a. I my parents loved me a lot, but I had a split parenthood. Half a week with mum, half a week with dad, and one half of that wasn't always the greatest. There was a lot of alcohol involved. Um, you know, and, and that deeply affected me growing up, you know, and just not to go into it too deep, but there was violence involved as well, which shaped me quite a lot as a young adolescent. Um, I'm going to sort of gloss over the childhood bit and get into the real gritty stuff, but like growing up, I was really into football. Um, I noticed on one of your podcasts I was listening to earlier, Jack, that you yourself were big into football as well. Mm -hmm. um, and at the age of 19, I had a double cruciate and medial injury. Um, only ever wanted to be a soldier or a footballer. That wiped me out of both. Um, which, as you know yourself, that competitive edge, when you lose that or you realise it's, it's not going to become something, it, it's difficult mentally. Mm. Um, so that was at 19, I had football taken away from me. And that's when my troubles from my childhood started coming out and my troubles from my adult had started. Uh, it was a, a very terminal place or sort of mentally to be in. Uh, I was too old to get an apprenticeship. 
to go, go and be a trade because I, I'd gone past the 19 mark, which is when the government stopped funding. Um, I couldn't be a footballer. I couldn't be a Marine. I, I, I didn't know what to do in my life. I, I really, I was at a, a lost turning point and um, I turned to drinking drugs. Um, I, as a growing up playing football, if somebody told me they did drugs, I'd be like, you're a skank. You know, and it wasn't until I tried it that I realised that actually not everybody that does drugs is a complete waster. Because at first it was just a react recreational thing. It was once in a blue moon. But life started to get harder. Life started, I got more and more depressed with the no football, with the no comp competitive edge. Um, I met a girl who I haven't got a bad word to say about. We ended up getting married and we, we parted ways after seven years. But she, she was a fantastic girl, but she also liked to party, which becomes a catalyst for more and more. Um, and I allowed my childhood to compound and hide behind those drugs. And that would come out in, not violent, but I was, I I was an asshole, you know? And th this girl that I was with at the time, I was very fortunate that she recognized that and she recognized my trigger, which was if I'd been in contact with one of my, a particular one of my parents, within two to three days, I'd have this mental breakdown where I was, I'd see red, nobody could reason with me, you know, and it, she was a massive turning point in my start to self-development. Um, don't get me wrong, it took me a further 10, 12 years to actually fully learn how to, to self-develop, and we'll get to that. But she, she pushed me to go to counselling, and that's where my, my mental health and self-development journey really started. Um, and it was a rocky road to start with because initially it was NHS, and that was filling some forms and you'd be put on a waiting list. And I was like, I was 21. I was like, F this man. Like, I'm just a number. I'm better than this. I don't need that. Well, oh, oh, lad, lad, like I can cope with this. I couldn't cope with that, you know? And it took her leaving me and saying, I'm going, I'm coming back in one week. And if you haven't made a change, that's us done. And I, I saw private counseling and started paying for it. I was going twice a week for, four years to see this counsellor we had a really good relationship I worked through my childhood I found out that actually the reason I was acting out was because the love I'd always sought from the woman that was supposed to love me the most I'd always not that my mum didn't love me but her actions and that made me feel not loved so when I was in an adult relationship I didn't know how to receive that love if I did something wrong I expected to be ridiculed for it and when I wasn't I couldn't cope with that and the counselling taught me how to be an adult basically be be the person I had potential to be mm. and um I felt good for for quite a while we we got divorced Matthew went downhill big time um onslaught of three years of heavy partying and being being a lad you know there, there was there was no sort of destructive behavior to anyone around me, but it was very self-destructive to myself. Mm. Um, and at, at this point, I'm still not playing any sport or anything. I've been gone from playing 11 to 19 every day. You know what it's like when you're in the middle of football. Do I come and play five aside? I, I probably shouldn't, but yeah, I'm coming. I'll play seven aside as well. I'll train 11s. I'll play Saturday and Sunday. You know, during school, me and my mate would play every night till it was dark down the field. Um, 
said like through my 20s all I had was this this drinking and partying set like set a uh, crutch I suppose and that was it that's all I held on to so when we got divorced when I was 27 it it, it spiraled pretty big and um something had to had to change something had to change and I met the mother of my child on tinder 24 hours completed it <laughs> ended up getting married I say completed it we got divorced so that's two divorces we're up to now but we're not at that point yet so I ended up meeting the mother of my child Emma um, and I moved away from Torquay for a fresh start I moved up to Wiltshire um, never thought I could be away from the sea but to anyone that's ever been to Wiltshire is actually a beautiful county um, absolutely stunning um, so I moved up here and became lonely so the first year I was up here was just me and her and I had no one and it was so weird going for, in Torquay I could go out every night even if it not not drinking but I could go and meet somebody or the football was on or I could go and do something every night the hustle and bustle of the seaside town suddenly I'm living in Meltrum in Wiltshire and there's nothing there's 10,000 people and I've come from 100,000 people it's it was, it was very sort of isolating and um, that sort of initiated another spiral, not like I did in my 20s, um, but I would look for reasons to have a weekend away and go and visit people in Torquay or uh, friends down in East Witterings or, or something like that so that I could just escape, you know, just, just, just escape. Um, and then I joined the rugby club and a gym well sorry I joined the gym and my P PT said why don't you come to the rugby club it's pre-season you'll in you won't just have a few mates you'll instantly have a family of 60 people um, and that's that was pivotal pivot piv pivotal yeah. so I'm really I'm really good at maths but <laughs> English trips me up sometimes um that was pivotal in 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 the change in me um Obviously, being a rugby club, there was a lot of lad culture, so there was a lot of things to battle with in there with my previous sort of red button self-destruct habits. But I've met some of the best people I've ever met in that club. And in a time of need, you literally have 60 or 70 people at your back sending you messages in the group chat. Is everything OK? Um, but this didn't go down too well with my, my ex because suddenly I had something else other than her. Um, but at the time we were trying for a baby. So it seemed in my head, it seemed like everything was good. We're just trying for a baby. It's the stress of that. She's type one diabetic. Being pregnant with type one diabetes is very difficult. So I put, I put a lot of it, a lot of our relationship down to that. So sorry, just to rewind, we got married and our relationship was felt stale, felt like I was begging for that love from the woman in my life yet again not begging for it but yearning for it I felt like I'd regressed um after all the counseling joined the rugby club started trying for a baby I've been at the rugby club eight weeks had a miscarriage at 13 weeks now normally at 13 weeks people have only seen their baby once in a scan at 12 weeks was type 1 diabetic so we'd seen the baby uh, 12 times 
she got a scan every Friday. Wow. And um, it doesn't make it any, I'm not trying to detract from people that have only seen their baby once, but I don't know, I'd seen my baby's heartbeat 11 times on, on the 12th time. Nothing, you know, and that, that was very, very traumatic traumatic for that to have an operation so effectively a an involuntary abortion because there was a, a dead baby inside her um and that that really really messed us up you know like as a married couple you should then come together and deal with it and we didn't we dealt with it as individuals um i tried to, i i i tried to read not reason but explain what i could offer because i'm a man i'll never carry a baby i can't empathize with that if you and me went down the pub and you stubbed your toe i could be like god jack you're right i know what that feels like mate that's terrible but as a lad to try and empathize with a woman that's lost a baby would be very wrong to because we can we can never know what that feels like so i said to her that i'm your shoulder i'm your ears i'm your cuddles and whatever you need but i can't give you the answers to how you feel because inevitably I'll say the wrong thing and I'll upset you and I don't want to do that and she took that as my husband doesn't want to support me and um yeah that was that was tough but she carried on wanting to try for a baby so I thought okay this is just this is just gonna be a phase this is something that we've got to work through we ended up losing two more babies um earlier stages in pregnancy doesn't detract from how horrible it was but you know they, they were what was called chemical pregnancies so it's like the first two or three weeks where it's still just dividing cells and hasn't become an em embryo yet um and then we, we we started having tests and turns out i had a genetic genetic issue which means 80 percent of my pregnancies will end in miscarriage and of that 20%, 60% of that 20% will be highly disabled, deformed, or something like really wrong with that baby. So you're looking at a total of about seven, eight percent chance of having a healthy baby with my condition. Um, so we started IVF process. Um, that wasn't going to happen because of my genetic condition. We needed something called ICSI, which is a step above um which was ten thousand pound for one go alongside something called pre-implantation genetic diagnosis to make sure that the embryo they put in didn't have my genetic condition so it was going to cost us 10 grand for one attempt to have a baby um and we were two weeks away from parting with that money and we found i was pregnant which should have been a very magical beautiful time but we knew the risks. One, she's type one diabetic, that's high risk. And two, my genetic disorder, even higher risk. So nothing about that pregnancy was magical. Nothing, it was stressful. It, it, it drove us further apart because we both knew it should have been magical, but it wasn't. Um, but it was successful. It, like, it was successful and I've got a beautiful little girl who's three and a half now absolutely like my absolute world um so we, we we had our daughter 
Um, then she was 10 months old and I'm not going to go into it too much detail because I'll, I'll break up um, because it was the most traumatic night of my life. Basically, she fell really ill. She had a fit, rushed to hospital after like four ambulances had turned up in the heli med team. She's unconscious. Three and a half hours of watching <laughs> this little lifeless 10-month-old baby be worked on by like 12 people, not knowing what's happening. And then we were told we had to say goodbye to our daughter. Uh, I don't talk about this very often. Um, so it's a bit, bit choking up. Um, she had sepsis and there was nothing they could do. They'd never seen a little girl so ill before. And they pumped her with everything, steroids, antibiotics. They just pumped her with everything. And um, she had sepsis on the lungs. And basically, her, you know, on a lung, a, a chest x-ray, you can see your ribs and like a faint outline of the lungs. Her whole chest was just pure white. Everything was just filled, and then they, they said to us, "They were like, do you want to go and to hold her hand and just be with her?" And I, I, I was like, "I've seen TV. I know what that means." Mm. And with that, they just X-rayed her again. So this is like six hours in now, and one of her lungs are cleared miraculously, just cleared out of nowhere. And they were like, "We think we've got a chance. We think we've got a chance." And they moved her to Bristol Children's Hospital, Bristol Royal Infirmary. Um, long story short, she spent eight days in intensive care and came out of hospital like nothing had ever happened to her. Oh. You know, out, out of nowhere, she just... And this was, this was the January before lockdown. So we went into lockdown in the March, this was the January. And they never actually found anything wrong with her other than the sepsis. Oh. And they, they say that it's a, it's a strong chance that she was one of the first covid cases in the country because they, they tested her for everything and nothing came back none of the cultures came back and they weren't they didn't know about testing for covid then they knew china had an issue and italy was getting bad and but in the uk we we hadn't had anything like really by then there was nothing in the news so there was no testing facilities or anything like that and they, they reckon she could have been one of the first cases of covid um yeah and she made it through eight days of hell the only thing that is to show for it is mine and my ex-wife's mental scars from it you know my daughter is yeah she's alive and well and flourishing shall we say um so yeah that was 10 months her at 10 months um then lockdown came i got to spend 17 weeks furloughed with my daughter all day every day it was incredible absolutely incredible the best no dad gets that. My ex-wife was still working. I was full-time dad. It was brilliant. But the flip side of that was it was also evident that my daughter was the only thing keeping us together. Everything that we'd been through, there was no love. There was no, there was nothing. She couldn't even smile at me when I walked in the door. It was, it was, so hard not to go back to being 20 year old Matt and tumbling and becoming a complete wreckhead because I just needed to feel something. You know, I just needed to feel, but my daughter was too important. It was the only thing that stopped me. You know, I, I, I can't sit here and say I was complete 
completely innocent. I did go out with the lads. I did get wrecked. I did hit the red button, but I didn't hit self-destruct on a permanent basis. Um, so we ended up getting divorced. That was horrendous. Um, it cost me a lot of money, like double what your debt was five years ago. Um, yeah, and we didn't even have a house. There was no house to lose. Um, so that was very, very difficult. Um, we're, we're just starting the custody battle now. Um, so yeah, that's all the struggles I've had to deal with. Um, but what, what makes, I suppose the thing that people would be interested to hear or would want to hear is how did I cope with all of that and how did I get through it? And the long and short of it is by the skin of my teeth, <laughs> by the skin of my teeth. Um, it's only this year that I have become comfortable in my own skin. So through my twenties, the partying, the escaping, um, because that's what it is. It's escaping. You know, I, I think you said on one of your podcasts about going out of the weekend and it was escaping the reality of that mind numbingness. And, and, and it is. And then if you've got compounding things in your life that are making your, your want to escape even more, you end up escaping more than it's, I was, I, I realized that this year I was actually scared to be on my own. I was scared to be in a room on my own with my thoughts. And that's not a good place to be. You know, I was 36 at the time. I'm 37 now, you know, that I should be a fully functioning an adult. I'm thinking, I'm like, there's something's got to really change here. And, um, I've always had, I've always, this last six years, I've always had the gym as like my church. Uh, I love training, love it so much. I've, I've competed in bodybuilding. You know, I've, I've gone push myself to max lifts and, and whatnot and tried, tried a bit of CrossFit, tried a bit, like tried a bit of this, tried a bit of that. I've had different personal trainers. I've got a mate who trains people in the, in the special forces. He like sends me workouts that they do prepping them for special forces. I've got the guy who got me into rugby, used to train me, you know, use different people, follow different podcasts, try different types of training to keep myself active. And that was always how I would cope with things now instead of how I coped before, but it wasn't enough. I, I, I'd lost three babies. I'd nearly lost my daughter. My marriage had fallen apart. I'm now on my ass broke because of how much the divorce has cost and training just wasn't enough. You know, it, I was the start of this year. So many people have said to me, I don't know how you got to March. I don't know how you didn't do something drastic. And what they meant by that was they didn't want to say it, but how have you not committed suicide? They didn't have the balls to just be like, how have you not committed suicide? We, so many men don't go through half of this and they take their own life. And I'd, I'd never even thought of, like, to be honest, I'd never thought about taking my own life. You know, I'd, I don't want to die. You know, I'm, I'm 37 now. If I live 37 more years, I've still got my whole life ahead of me. Mm. You know, and that's always sort of, even in the darkest, because I've been really, really dark. Well, I've not, I've not wanted to die, but if I didn't wake up the next day, I wouldn't have bothered. It wouldn't, it, it wasn't a bothering thought, if you know what I mean. Um, 
but yeah, so getting through to March, like everything was super, super dark. Like my friends were calling me all the time, worried, you know, because I was, sh- I was, I was shutting down. I was shutting myself off. Um, I'd, friends would leave work just to come and knock on my door and make sure I was okay, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm fine. I just don't want to talk to you. And I'm depressed. Like I don't want to answer my phone. Like it's, I can't explain to you how I feel. It's, I just don't want to talk. I don't want." I see my phone ringing. I don't want to talk. And um, my mate, uh, my, my, he's the best man at uh, my wedding, which you know about. Is yes, that's wedding number three. Love a day when people look at me. <laughs> um, he's he he sat me down and he was like, "Muzz, he was like, I've lost two friends this last couple of years. I can't lose you." I was like, "You're not going to lose me, Phil. You're not going to lose me." But when he left, I sat there and I thought, "Shit, that's how I'm making people feel." I, I'm in that much of a hole that I've got loved ones scared that I'm not going to be here anymore. So that I actually recorded a podcast earlier on this subject. And I'll go over it briefly now. Um, the way, the biggest thing I've done for self-development is isolation. And that's not isolation like we had in COVID. That was for everybody. That sucked. But we still had internet. We still had social media. We still had ways of communicating. But so another trigger for this, rewind slightly, TikTok. So I had 1,500 followers on TikTok. You know, it's okay. It's, it's not rubbish. It's not great. I made a video one night and woke up to 50,000 followers. And within six days, I had 150,000 followers and 15, 20,000, 15 to 20,000 messages a day. And what was the TikTok? It was show your last three selfies. Um, no chill, no cheating. It was a top uh, picture of me after I trained in the gym, in the gym mirror with my top off. Um, a picture of me on site doing a chin up on the scaffold bar and a picture of me just sat at a table in a bar. Just just three, you know, innocuous photos. Uh, within half an hour, I had over 4000 likes and the next day I had 50,000 followers. Um, and yeah, I was getting fifteen to twenty thousand messages a day. What? I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not gonna lie to you, Jack. It was all women. And you sit there and you think, God, you've got it made. That that must have been great. No, it was horrendous. I felt like if if I'm out and about with the lads, I I I, I do like being a bit centre of attention, being the life and soul of the party. But that was horrible i felt a constant weight of pressure demanding expectation on me i was getting people messaging saying oh me and the girls have been talking at work we want you to do a video like this and people girls offering to take me on holiday asking me to come across the country i was like i it sounds like a dream but i promise you it was the worst thing ever i'm i'm a, i'm a lad but i'm also i've got like strong morals you know that like if i'm i mean i was single at the time but if I'm with someone, I'm with that person. I'm not chatting to anyone else or anything like that. Even if it's just low key, just seeing them and like just a couple of dates, it's focus, you know, like focus, focus. And it's never multiple. And to have all this attention, I was like, I, I can't, I can't do this. So I, I got rid of all social media. I decided I was going to go into isolation. I got rid of all social media, deactivated them all apart from TikTok. I full deleted TikTok, got rid of it. I never wanted to go back to that page again. I never wanted to, and I, and I, 
I, I just I, I had to just get rid of it you know I had to block people on Instagram that had gone and found my Instagram handle and stuff like that uh, because they were just like it, it was it was horrible you know like when I mean I'm, I'm, I'm just an, I'm I, I don't mean this in a derogatory way to myself but I'm just a nobody in terms of like you know social media influences celebrities I'm I'm just an ordinary bloke mm. And it happened overnight and it was just too much. You know, like I always said, if I could sing, I'd be in a 27 club. You know, like I, 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 I don't think I'd handle fame. And I'm glad that I'm not, not famous, you know, uh, especially fame that quick. Day long, yeah. Say again. Imagine what like famous people have, that's what they've got to deal with all the time. That's exactly, yeah. Handled it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I decided that I needed to go into isolation. I needed to stop using other methods to escape. I needed to learn how to not be scared of myself. So I, I deactivated Facebook, Insta, Twitter, um, got rid of TikTok completely. I had no social media. I even deleted WhatsApp. You know, I just, you know, I know it's only a messaging service, but I just, I got rid of it. Was this and, um, idea or did you hear it somewhere and think that's a good idea and we'll do that? Uh, I just sat there and I was like, I don't want any of this anymore. I need to shut this noise out and I need to, I need to work on myself. And, um, it was like, it was a, ended up being a four week process. So the first week I, I said to myself, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to work. I'm going to come home at the time I was training in my garden. So I got like Olympic bar, I got weights, dumbbells, had a bench, everything like that in my garden. Um, and I was like, I'm going to come home, I'm going to train, I'm going to eat. And then I'm going to sit on my own, not talk to anyone. And the first week I was training sometimes three times a night because I just, I, I needed to escape, but escape positively. And the next week I, I was like, I had so much anxiety that first week as well. I was just like, there was no other form of escape. So the next week I was like, right, you have to only train once. You have to only train once. And, and I had to go and sit in the room, in my room, on my own, with my own thoughts, nothing to escape. You know, I, I, I wasn't drinking at the time anyway, you know, so it was like no alcohol. You know, it was, I was like, if I, if I want something to eat or if I want something to drink, it's going to be a smoothie in the neutral bullet, you know, try and keep healthy and clean. And that second week, I, it was a bit like watching paranormal activity. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was on edge all the time. I was like, just on edge, just like, yeah, it was, it was strange. But then by the third week, I was coming home and I was sitting down. And I was like, you know, what, I like this. So what about a weekend? You just, you didn't have work. Were you just sat at home the whole time? Um, I was, I was working weekends as well. The, like, the site was open on a weekend. So I was just going to site, right. just doing half days. And then and this was sort of April time. And we had quite a good sunny spell. So I spent quite a lot of time sat in the garden. This year, right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And um, yeah, so by week three, I was actually looking forward to coming home and sitting in my own space and being on my own. And it wasn't a case of I wanted to be on my own. It was a case of, it was almost like shock therapy. Those two weeks had enabled me to actually be happy in my own skin and not, not frightful or scared worried or the feeling to need to escape and then week four I was I was like 
like something's got to change. I'm enjoying this too much. I might not get back into the real world. Um, so I, I persevered for the for the fourth week, and you know, I I went down to Torquay on the last weekend of the fourth week because that's where my parents live, and. Um, I was like, right, I'm, I'm going to go down to Torquay, just catch up with my parents. They were the only people that I'd spoken to so that I knew that people knew that I was all right. Um, I actually got a phone call off the police whilst I was down there. And it was a welfare check. So one of my friends had been that worried that he hadn't heard of me or I hadn't replied or, or anything like that. No one else had heard of me. He actually rang the police to do a welfare check. Oh. And I was like, do you know what? That is massive that shows how far lads have come mm. in terms of like looking out for each other and whatnot you yeah. know and that 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 was really touching you know but I didn't find out for three months who it was I just knew somebody done a welfare check on me and it, yeah it was actually three months later that my mate was like he goes oh he goes yeah mate I was so worried about you because I rang the police to get a welfare check and I was like oh my god it was you and it I mean, me and this lad worked together. We got on well on site, but we're not sort of day-to-day inter- like interacting buddies, you know? Mm. And I was like, it just shows that you can have a connection with somebody without sort of like being there every day. Mm. But yeah, so I, I did this four weeks and um, so that was, that was April. So what's that? That's eight months, seven, seven eight months ago. Yeah. Um, I've now been totally, totally clean for that entire time there hasn't been one day where I've escaped one day where I've wanted to not like even the thought of doing any sort of drug it repulses me don't get me wrong I'm not going to judge my mates that still do it I've been there I've done that I can't judge you know but it yeah that four weeks I I don't like have you heard of ayahuasca yeah yeah so listening to Joe Rogan and him describe ayahuasca, that six or seven hour enlightenment trip into another realm, I felt like I got the same sort of awakening from that four-week isolation. Wow. That's the only way I can explain it. It, is, it was life-changing, absolutely life-changing. Um, yeah, and it... In, in those yeah. days, I'm, I'm, I want to understand one. I think people listening will want to know what were you actually doing? Were you meditating? Were you reading books? Like, or were you just quiet? Um, a lot of the time, just quiet. Just quiet with my own thoughts. Um, but yeah, so actually like week, week three, I actually started writing a book. Um, let's, let's say, and this is where my idea for the book and podcast came from was in these four weeks because I, I did start getting bored because I felt like I'd processed a lot of thoughts. And I was like, you know what? I need to get some of this down. So I started writing a book. Um, and for anybody that's ever written a book, it's not easy. It's, it's, I'm, I'm about eight chapters in. I think it's about, about seven, seven and a half thousand words. Um, and it's a, it's a book from in-depth from my childhood right the way up. And I, I've got up to about... Uh, 17 or 18 just before I had my knee injury um, I found it really therapeutic doing that and off the back of starting the book I was like how's anyone going to know about my book mm. um, and I'd recently well not finished because he's released more now but I 
the first ever podcast I ever listened to was James Smith. Um, I'd never, my brother had been listening to podcasts for years. And I was like, no, no, I was already into Audible and listening to, to books, you know, so whilst I didn't read during that time, I had, I had a lot of knowledge from books to draw from because the sort of books that I'd listen to or read, like uh, Mark Manson, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck and Everything is Fuck. Um, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck like, is, I, I think the only reason I never got as dark as people thought I was going to get dark was because of that book. Mm-hmm. You know, like we do only have... When did you start the audio books? Started the audio books about two years ago. So, no, what, in the car oh, no, 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 it was about, no, it was maybe three or four years ago, actually. Um, I couldn't stand listening. As soon as I turned 30, I couldn't stand listening to Radio 1 or Kiss or Capital. I felt like they were patronising me when they were talking to me. It just felt like they were talking to children. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> I used to love this stuff. Um, so I started listening to Talk Sport because I wanted to listen to real conversations. and then. Actually, like the uh, Ant Middleton, first man in, right? Um, my mate, this is how I got into Audible. He rang me up and he was like, mate, you're Ant Middleton. I was like, what are you on about? He was like, well, one, you look like him. He said, yeah, but you're the same yeah. guy. <laughs> 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 um, and he was like, you're the same person. He said, he goes, just listen to his book, first man in. He said, the first, have, you ever, have you ever read it or listened I've to listened it? To books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you know, you know the first book when he's talking about is, his first kill and his first time going through a door and he's like what they're all gonna have guns but they're not as well trained as me you know i might take one to the leg but fuck it it'll only hurt a little bit fuck it i'm going in kick the kick the door down he was like mate that's you that's your attitude he was like this guy is you he goes you've got to listen to his book i'd never watched sas who dares wins or anything like that didn't even know who Ant middleton was and um yeah so my, my first audible was Ant middleton first man in um and from that point, I was just like, I need to start listening to more books like this. Like this, this is this is really going to help me like sort of develop. And I decided that I, I'd never work within an hour of home. So that's two hours a day in the car minimum. I was like, that's two hours a day that I can put to good use. I can listen to people waffling on about Saturday's football or I can listen to music and not really progress myself. Or I can use that self-development time. So now, whenever I'm in the car, it's podcasts or Audible every time, without a doubt. You know, and like going to Cornwall at the moment to work, you know, I've got three and a half hours in the car. You know, so I can get a full Joe Rogan one in, three or four of yours in, you know, a James Smith one in. You know, there's there's so much variety I can get into into my trips. And, you know, you've said yourself on your podcast, like that using those tools for self-development and and whatnot is is life-changing you know like drawing on other people's experiences or anecdotes and lessons you know it's it's so developmental in in ourselves Uh, really I think when when my friend said I don't know how you didn't commit suicide self-development self-development is how I didn't commit suicide I I'd already started it without knowing I was doing it it was like a subconscious decision to begin with, um, you know, and to sort of like bring the my sort of training aspect into it. I don't just go to the gym. I pick the most extreme conditions to go and climb a mountain. Um, 
And it wasn't until recently I realised that actually I was pushing myself because I needed to develop myself. And this was all subconscious to begin with. So do you remember Beast from the East? The, 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 the snowstorm that covered the whole country? No. You must remember the Beast from the East. When 20... Uh, when was my daughter born? Uh, she was born in 2019. So it was March, 20, uh, February 2019. Right. The, the storm came over from Russia. There was literally eight inches of snow over the whole of the UK. Yeah. 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 I climbed Snowden in it. <laughs> Crampons and ice axe and off I went. And um, yeah, one of my friends was talking to me about it the other day. And he was like, he goes, mate, he goes, do you know, we, I, I, I didn't realise this about myself, but I mean, I always wanted to be a Marine. It, this is what's even strange about Anne Middleton. This, and that's a little bit of a tangent, but it will come back to the mountain. Um, all I wanted to do was go in the Marines, become a sniper, and go to Special Forces. It's literally Anne Middleton's career. Um, but yeah, so I, I always felt like I had like leader capabilities, but I never had the chance to, other than on the football pitch or, or something, I never had the chance to explore that. So we booked this trip to Snowden three months in advance. We didn't know, we knew it'd be snowy. We didn't know it was going to be the worst snowstorm the UK had had in 40 years. And we're about two thirds of the way up, knee deep in snow. And it's a full white out. You can't see anything anywhere. And the three lads that I was with were like, we want to go back down. And I was like, okay, that's absolutely fine. Are you confident in following your footsteps back? They were like, you're going to show us. I was like, no, I'm going to the top. And they were like, are you mad? I was like, no, I've done this mountain six times now in different conditions. I know where I'm going. I know that I can get to the top. And they were like, you're so confident. And I was like, I know this mountain. I don't want to die. I'm not an idiot. And all three of them went, we're coming with you. And we summited that mountain. They were like, Mate, we would have never have done that. If you hadn't said those words, we would have never have done that. We were shitting ourselves. We, we thought we were going to die. So, and I was yeah. like, yeah. And I, I, looking back, like that was sort of like a, there's this, this, this certain moments in your life that sort of form you. And at the time, you don't think it's anything. You know, like at the time, I was just like, no, I'm getting to the top of this mountain. Nothing's going to stop me. You know, I know the terrain. I know what's underneath my feet. I know the path. To me, that was the tools I needed to get to the top. You know, we got to the top. My beard was frozen. You couldn't see anything. You know, thankfully, on the way back down, it cleared and we got some be beautiful, beautiful scenery. I don't know if you've ever been to Snowdonia, but... Yeah, it's not real, it? Yeah, maybe. My, my brother came back from New Zealand. I took him for a sunrise climb of Snowdon. And he was like, why have I spent five years, three, 13,000 miles away, 10,000 miles away? He was like, it's right here on our doorstep. <laughs> you know, then... Um, yeah, so we we're quite thankful, lucky we did get that sort of that, that beauty on the way down, which made it. I mean, to be honest, if we didn't, it would have made it. It was worthwhile anyway. Yeah, Climbed yeah. Snowden in the most extreme conditions, um, and since then, I've I've continued to climb. I've I've done Scarfo in the pitch black. That was up the hardest route, not intentionally. <laughs> that, <laughs> we, we, me and my mate did the three peaks um, on our own no drivers, no, no people making us food, just me and him in my car, drove to Scotland, started straight away with no sleep. So, you know, we'd already had a six hour drive. Yeah. Did Ben, did Ben Nevis for the first time. It was the first time I'd ever done Nevis. Beautiful place. Drove to Scarfell. And we're like, right, we, we, we need to make up some time here. 
So I've looked at my uh, GPS app and I'm like, this is a quick route. <laughs> We've done it. And um, we got about two thirds of the way up this route. And I was like, Ben, I don't want to die. I've got a daughter at home, mate. I, it's pitch black. I, we can't see six foot in front of us. We don't, we've never done this mountain before. And he turned around to me and he went, and fear bubble. And I just stood there for 30 seconds and I went, let's fucking go. Let's do this. This is the guy that actually recommended it to me. Yeah. And we, we both read, uh, listened to fear bubble about a month before about him oh. doing Everest. Yeah. And he just looked at me and he was like, he, he called me and he went, and fear bubble. And I was like, yeah, we're doing it. And we got to the top of Scarfo and then we met this three peaks group up there that we'd met on Ben Nevis. And the guide said to me, she goes, oh, what route did you take? I was like, oh, we took Mickledore. She was like, you took Mickledore? And I was like, yeah, why? And she went, people die in the summer in the daytime on that route. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like a sheer shingle face. <laughs> but we could only see six foot in front of us. So we had no, we, like, we didn't see the danger above. We didn't see the danger below. And I, I've looked at, I've looked at it since. And I, yeah, I don't think I'd do it in the daytime. <laughs> But, but yeah she, she was like she was beside herself she's like i can't believe you've done mickledore she's like you're crazy absolutely crazy shot like, you've done it before i was like we've never been to the lake district before <laughs> <laughs> she was like I, yeah she she couldn't believe it but but we did it and we, we got up and got back down unfortunately we didn't get to snowden my um ben's knee went twice the size um yeah we, we didn't even know what he did it was just lack of training and overworking in that like first 14 hours or or, or what but yeah we, we he was like no no I don't want to let us down I was like Ben we're not doing it you know we're not doing it it's, it's not worth it you know and and the mountains are horrible have you ever done a mountain I've done the three peaks oh you've done the three peaks yeah so you you, you know you know how grueling it is anyway and I assume you probably did it with drivers and yeah yeah we had the yeah yeah and so we, I, I say to anyone, if you're going to do it, do it with the drivers. Mm. Because we, we got to Snowden and um, I, mate, I've never been so tired in my life. Yeah. Never been so tired. I was like, right, we've got a five hour drive home, Ben. Let's just get it done. And you know, when you come down from Snowden and you, you hit the, uh, what's, it's not the A, A4, the, the road through Ostrestry Ost and whatnot, coming back towards Shrewsbury. And there's, an, you know, the crazy and wacky inflatable arm tube man. He's hanging out of a car on the other side of the road telling me to pull over. And I was like, something's not right here. I think I need to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Pulled over, slept in the front seat of my car for eight hours. Wow. Yeah, eight hours. It was, yeah. Anybody, so anybody listening that wants to do the three peaks, don't try it with just your mate in a car. Because yeah, even if, if, if he hadn't have got injured, you know, we, we would have got the three peaks done. Yeah. But the, it was... It took all the fun out of it, mm. you know, just having to do the drives night yourselves, you know, it was, it was a valuable lesson learned, valuable lesson, but it was a, it was a fun attempt though. <laughs> but yeah, so you'll, 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 you'll know if you're going up mountains, the, uh, it's, it's horrible, isn't it? It's so, it's, it's like life though, isn't it? You're just like, I've just got to take one more step. Yeah. But you get to the top and you're like, look, I could never look up. I was like, I just need to focus no. on the next step because you look to see how far it is. You're like, that's so like Ben Nevis especially. Yeah. 
that's so far. Me and my mates were like, we just can't look up. Just take the next yeah. step. As long as you can see, if anything, seeing only six feet is a good thing. Because yeah. if you can see the climb, you're like, that's so far. Whereas you can see yeah. step. And if you just do that for the next few hours, you're at the top anyway. Yeah, you know I mean? exactly. Like, that's how I approached that challenge. And a crime in my life, really. I'm like, just one day. Yeah. I know what I've got to do today. Let's tick the list. Yeah. Tomorrow I'll be, I'll be better. Do you know what I mean? That feeling when you touch the trig point at the top, oh. it's like none of that hill happened, didn't it? Yeah. It's weird. It's it's like, oh, it wasn't that bad. I'm here now. Yeah. It just, just goes away, that sense of achievement, you know, and that's that's what I love about it. Mm. What I love about climbing a mountain. It, you know, it, it pushes you so hard, but they we can be brutal. Together, Say again? We snowed it together. Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. Uh, second week in December, I'm doing it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Second week. Uh, yeah, first weekend in December, I've got my daughter. Second weekend in December, I've got weekend free, and me, me and my best mate are doing it, if you fancy it. I'll check the diary. I'll see what's going on. Yeah, can't back out now. You said, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was thinking summer, nice and warm, shorts and T-shirt. I was thinking peak of winter, and I'm like, you are crazy. <laughs> now, uh, to be honest, it'll only be half covered in snow this time of year, if that. Okay. Because uh, you, you, imagine, you, you imagine when you were 10, how cold it was for bonfire night compared to now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, our, our autumn's coming into winter. It's so much warmer now. Like you've got to wait for sort of end of January to March for the real snow on the mountains now. You know, but they're, they're grueling places. And I, I love them because they really test who you are. Yeah. You know, the first time I went to climb Ben Nevis, I was at the bottom with my brother, who's five years younger than me. He'd done Snowdon with me and he'd done a few mountains in New Zealand, but that was purely just a snowboard down. It wasn't so he could like mountaineer. So he, he was fairly inexperienced compared to me. And I've looked at him. I've looked at the mountain. I've gone, mate, it's the second time I've done this on the mountain. I don't want to die today. I said, we're getting in the car, we're going home. Three hours later on the radio, avalanche, three people dead, Ben Nevis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's, it's I, I love the mountain so much, but they're, they're so deadly. Mm, big time. So, so, yeah. Seen the Netflix documentary of that guy who's done like all of the mountains. Nim's Day. What yeah. a guy. Mate, he's he was actually in the SF with Ant Middleton. Yeah. That's how, that's how I that's how I first got into him. So I've been following him for about six years now on Instagram, like watching all the stuff that he does. And yeah, he's he was the first Gurkha Special Forces. Have you read his book? I haven't, no. That could be a good one yeah. to audio on you i've not done it yet but I'll, i bet it's good if anyone's looking for something positive or inspirational on netflix that's definitely worth watching. yeah 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 14 peaks for anybody that wants to know it's called cool, yeah. isn't it so good. and it's do, do you know what got me about it you know like the eight thousand is like everest people say if you if you're weak if you're failing you get left behind because it's not worth your life to be saved he trekked back up like 400 meters to save someone's life on his own with no oxygen to get it because if it's special forces training it's just what a bloke yeah what what an absolute bloke no one gets left he's incredible yeah yeah it's very strong no man behind mentality that you know he's i've i've loved this i've loved hearing your story you've added so much value to whoever's been listening you need to launch your podcast asap because it's yeah, same. With your with your content for sure. I do want to ask a couple more 
questions just to try and get yeah go for it i've got loads of notes here if you wonder what i was writing yeah. I'm writing notes yeah. right because you, you mentioned so many good things but i think just to wrap up really i know there's, there's so many guys out there right now that are going through challenges not just well, guys and girls right but yeah just for guys at the moment what would be your advice like because obviously you've been through so much right and now you're on the podcast you're you've got such an inspirational story an unbelievable attitude you seem so motivational like you've gone complete full circle now where you're yeah. leading by example do you know what i mean and you've always had that in you as well which is so good that you're now fulfilling that potential do you know what I yeah mean? yeah so thank you mate i appreciate that what's 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 unlocked you almost the first step in anything is always the hardest you know and I get for a lot of lads that struggle, the hardest thing to do is admit that because they're ashamed. They don't want people to think down on them. And in one, in one of my podcasts that I've got pre-recorded, one of the, the things I say is you need people around you that you know you can trust. The guy that's offering you a line on a Friday night in the pub, you don't want that dickhead. He needs help too. But the guy that texts you on a Wednesday and says, you're right, mate, how are you? That's the people you need to keep close. And if somebody... If somebody does that, take it. Just take it or take that first step. Text four of your mates that you think would be able to help you. You only need one of them to text back. You know, it's, you know, I, I've, I don't know what it is about 2022, but I've got a lot of close personal friends going through really bad relationship at the minute. Some that have been for years and years of marriage, some that, you know, haven't been that long, but it's, and it, there just seems to be something about it. And they've watched what I've gone through. You know, they've watched it. And they now know, because I lent on them, that they can lean on me and each other. You know, and it's, it's, that, it's that first step. Everybody has someone that they can text and just say, mate, I need a chat. Can I come round? There's no shame in crying. There's no shame in breaking down. If you feel like you're about to hit rock bottom, I promise you, you're bouncy. Mm -hmm. You will bounce back and you will come back stronger. Lean on your friends. I love that. Just talk, yeah. right? Make such a big difference. Yeah. I'd noted that from you. You said that you started to write like your book, but it's just journaling, yeah. really. Isn't it? People, they haven't got it is, yeah. They can literally just journal their thoughts. Yeah, so, that's it. I've realised that there's so much power in a pen. Yeah, it really is. Down, becoming a bit more aware, like listening to you, mate, you sound one of the most self-aware people I've ever probably spoken to. And I've spoke to lots of people, do you know what I mean? So yeah, like, yeah. You can tell you're someone who's really spent time and in thinking, which yeah, most people are afraid to think nowadays. Do you know what I mean? So I, I applaud I, you for that. So you spent time Thank thinking, you, and then obviously you've, you've spoken to people. I, I love that you said you went to counselling when you was younger. Like, I think yeah. a lot of people see that almost as, I don't know, like, oh, I don't want to do that because I'd feel like, a, like you said before. Yeah. I think that's the best thing you can do. And if you actually look at anybody who's successful or anybody who's at a high level in sport, yeah, working with counsellors, they're working with mindset coaches, they're working with coaches. Yeah. And, to achieve their goals so it makes sense just to go and speak to somebody who's a professional yeah well i mean look, look at america that's one thing they've got right they see shrinks on the regular yeah you know it's 
talking to people like i mean i, I will check in with my counselor like now it's i used to do it once every couple of months um but now it might be once a year and it's it's almost like going to the doctors for a checkup yeah you know but that, i'll just i'll just check in she'll she'll look at my notes she'll bring up things from last year and i'll be like oh actually yeah i've been past that you know and it's, it's such a good way to evaluate yourself it's it's weird because it once somebody gets you talking it's sort of it's sort of like turning on a tap mm. that's been blocked for a long time it suddenly all just comes out and it's uh yeah you know like some like my my, uh, my wife she does it with journaling she likes to write she doesn't like to talk she mm. likes to write but it's just get it's use a form to get it out bottling yeah. things up people say that or, like you said there you said people are scared of feeling weak or something like that and weakness is bottling it up weakness is hiding from it weakness is escaping from it you know and it takes real strength to face something head on and and battle it you know and you, you said about sports stars and stuff like that using shrinks and successful people you look at somebody like richard branson or elon musk or someone like that how many times have they failed to get to where they are you know weak weak like strong people accept failure they accept hard times they accept negativity and they learn from it you know and it's 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 not easy damn it's not easy if it was everybody would be elon musk and money would be pointless because we'd all be billionaires you know but it's it is it is very it's very hard to be as successful as that but it's very easy to implement some of those lessons into your life and understand that negativity is actually a chance to grow it's a chance to be better, you know, is uh, one of the podcasts I actually want to do is, is about like the victim mentality, mm. you know, and how, how, you know, like it's a growing culture at the minute, the victim mentality, you know, entitlement, you yeah. know, it's people want something for nothing these days and nothing comes for free. Understood. Nothing does, you know, uh, you're, one of uh, the new people listening, go and have a look at Jack's podcast about uh, your six top books. And you're talking about consistency um, and the compounding effects of consistency, you know, and, and, and that's, that doesn't come easy. That, that takes hard work. That takes graft. You know, you've become the person you are today for, you know, from somebody who didn't believe in network marketing and, and stuff like that to somebody who's now thriving because of it. But that didn't happen overnight, did it? You know, that happened with consistency and learning and growth and failing and getting back up and going again. Keep going, keep going. And some market events might be pivotal. Some other market events, you might come away flat going, oh, it didn't really help. You've got to do all of them to get better. And Yeah. You know. And looking back, by the way, they're the best times. Like, the journey is way better than the rest yeah. of the so, Yeah, yeah massively. So good. Yeah, do, do you know it's weird you say that? I was listening to um, James Smith's one of his latest podcasts with Dizzy Rascal, and he was asking Dizzy about like what his favorite times were. And he was like, Do you know what? Some of my favorite times were making beats in my bedroom when I had nothing, mm. you know, and like I was get, I didn't have a job and I had nothing, you know. He said, But I look back on them times of grafting and like putting the work in, they were the fun times, yeah, that was the fun time. You know, and, it, and it's true. They're like pe people say, the destination, like they're looking for a destination for happiness. The journeys, the journey is like where it's all at. Yeah. You know, 
massively. Like you mentioned that because if, if like you listen to a lot of podcasts, people being interviewed, successful people, yeah, all say this because a lot of us have this idea, yeah, um, whatever. We're like, oh, when I get to that level, I'll be happy. Whereas you yeah. listen to speak, they're like, I'm not happy because no. when I was in the in the graft or in the, the growing, yeah, stage, the learning. Whereas, yeah, people think it's the destination. It's not. It's the journey. It's not. And you know, talking about about happiness and people. One, one of the things I live by is I'm, I appreciate and uh, am grateful for everything I have right now. Don't get me wrong, I've got ambition, I want more, but my happiness is not based on that. My happiness is based on what I have right here, right now in my life. And too many people base their happiness on hitting that next goal. But when you get to that next goal and you've bought your nice car, it's nice, it's good for a day, but there's no fulfillment, you know, and people need to accept what they have right now. You know, like, your mate might have a nicer car than you. Your mate, another person might have a nicer house than you. You've got a house. You've got food. You're richer than most people. You know, it's and that's today's society. So many people are unhappy because they base their happiness on what they haven't got instead of what they have got. Yeah. You know, and that's you shared some absolute gems tonight. <laughs> yeah, a little bit quiet. Go into there and not like. Just basically stop comparing themselves to all of the crap that you're out there nowadays. Yeah. Stop watching the news, stop absorbing all this negative stuff. Yeah. Be grateful. Like, mate, you shared so many good things. The discipline of training, joining a good community. You've given like yeah. a whole list of things that anyone can go and implement from the back of this. Yeah. What, what would be your last closing like bits of advice to anyone to go and actually implement this though? Um, I, I think when we spoke before the podcast early on in the week, I said to you like one of the one of the words I live by is acceptance. And when you start accepting things for as they are, like accepting your world as it is and being happy for that, or accepting things you can't control, you know, I find it such a powerful word. You know, people can think what they want, people can say what they want, but if you accept yourself and you accept what you have. And start building from there, you know, that that first acceptance is where you can really start growing, you know, because until you accept yourself, you know, there's that old age saying, how can you love someone if you can't love yourself? Mm. You know, and it's it, it's massive. It like some people have called me selfish in the past, but if you're on an airplane and it's going down, you put your oxygen mask on first because you're no use to somebody else if you're not in a good position. You know, and yeah, you need people need to accept themselves to then work on themselves and better themselves. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. Couldn't agree with you more, mate. We're on the same page with literally everything. <laughs> I can talk to you. We could do a Joe Rogan, mate. We could do a three-hour podcast here, no sweat. Um, <laughs> I'm actually going to listen back to this podcast tomorrow when I train because it's been so good, mate. I, I want to thank you for your time. Um, do go oh, and nice. share your stuff. It's going to add so much value. Just to finish, I can see there's some books behind you, those who are watching this on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. I want to share like the, your favorite book with the listeners and then maybe yeah. one particular episode of a certain, like I know you mentioned Joe Smith's podcast or Joe Rogan's, like what one particular episode could people maybe come off of this, maybe go and listen to tomorrow when they train or whatever that has been your favorite of all time? I'll put you on the spot right massively. Right, so... Uh... Not necessarily my favourite book, 
but there's a have you heard of the sunk cost fallacy no so the sunk cost fallacy is it's not something that james smith has come up with it's something that he quotes and he he, he puts it across in a very good way um just because you've invested in something it doesn't mean you need to stay invested in it and too many people stay with a wife that they don't love in a job that they hate because of the time that they've invested already mm-hmm. i listened to that chapter in the book and i left my wife the next day wow. because i realized i didn't need to be in it for what i'd invested i was unhappy i was miserable you know it, it was it was life-changing and this not a life uh, not a life coach james smith is he's no bullshit he tells it how it is. This isn't about fitness. This isn't about diets. This isn't, he's not plugging his, his, his um, fitness academy or anything like that. It is a really like insightful book into the way that modern humans work. And he's done a lot of research. Uh, the guy's very intelligent, very, very intelligent. I would advise anybody to read that book as a, as a starting point into sort of self-help books. I love it. You know, it's because it is, especially if you're a lad and you're into sport, it's like listening to your mate down the pub. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's very, very relatable. Um, so yeah, that, my favourite book is actually um, the Subtle Art Not Giving a Fuck, Mark Manson. Right. I've listened to it p- probably eight times. You know, yeah. I absolutely love that book. Um, in terms of podcasts, it's a tough one podcast that I got the most from hmm. so that's, 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 that's tough that's tough I, I, I would say definitely anybody that's interested in like the societal effects on people and stuff like that um, any of Joe Rogan's with Jordan Peterson mm. you know they're, they're, they're brilliant the guy's super intelligent um, very outspoken but factual with it and will hold his hands up if he is wrong. Um, yeah, that that one is, is, yeah, Jordan Peterson. It's a good one to listen to. I love it. Mate, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Where can people uh, find, really appreciate. find your, you're back on social media now, right? I am back on social. So I'm back on Facebook and I'm back on Instagram. I have got Twitter, but I don't ever go on it. Uh, only ever had to, only ever had Twitter to get football tickets. So, yeah. Uh, What's your tag? So my Instagram is Muzzy M U Z Z I E seven seven seven. Perfect. I'll add that into the yeah. show notes, mate. Mate, and uh, yeah. Thanks so much for this tonight. And um, we're no going to have some part two. Maybe after we do Snowden, we'll do part two of the podcast, shall we? Yeah, that sounds good. And hopefully by then I'll have my podcast up and running as well and I can get you on as a guest. So Game on. Game on. Yeah, Whenever. happy days. Stop, man. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jack. Appreciate it.